everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Onzer, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. Not a solo effort for me this week. So glad to have you back, Patrick. That's right. Always good to be here. Always right. enjoy chatting with you. Very good, very good. This is a news and research podcast. We haven't talked to you about a whole lot of news and research over the course of the last little while here. Uh, and so we have a few important things we wanted to share and wanted to discuss, um, and I'm excited about that. Among the other pieces of news that we're going to be discussing is the fact that it looks like you and I have now set a date for our SlayRx lab testing. <laughs> That's right. We finally got one set. <laughs> right on. So next month, and we'll tell you more about it when, when we get closer to it, but, uh, but you'll recall that when we, we interviewed the folks from Slayer X um, uh, last month, we said, all right, so we're going to go in and you and I are going to do the lab testing and we're going to get our sweat tested and we're going to see what our results are. So mm-hmm. so we're going to go in that room. Do you know what 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 is your target like race? What, what temperature you're going to use? Oh, good question. Um, well, considering I've had a lot of hot races recently, <laughs> most of my marathons seem to be uh, you know above the average. Maybe I should just go ahead and make it seventy-five. And... Oh, okay, 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 very good, very good. <laughs> but no, well, I, I'll probably do probably something like fifty-five. Um, if it, probably just do the first one in ideal temperatures, and then if we do later one, try right the on. hotter race just right to, just to see how I react compared to others. Right on, right on. And Patrick's going to do on the run, and I'm going to actually do it on the bike since I ride the bike a little bit, and so so we can kind of get both those going at the same time and. And, and yeah, I get an idea of it. I'm trying to decide, okay, so I was thinking about maybe we should do like a historic race. So like, you know, Boston, was it 2012? Boston 2012, it was so hot. So, yeah. so maybe do that one. Or like the 2000s. By the way, somewhere Eddie Ferguson is like <laughs> screaming into his radio saying, don't yes. do that. Because yeah, he was right. there and right, he right. still swears that was one of the worst experiences, experiences of his life. Yeah, right yeah. Um, but you, you remember the Chicago Marathon back in like 2007, I want to say it was, they canceled it halfway through because it was so hot. Yeah. Um, and so I was maybe looking up some of the conditions of those. Maybe some of the conditions of the two times I've been in Kona. Or I was thinking about, you know, Western States Endurance Run is one of my bucket list races. So maybe I'll uh, look up the conditions on that one and do that. So Then you'll yeah. know, do I really want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Dear listeners, as you're listening to this, hopefully you realize the uh, the sacrifice we're getting ready to make for all of you. But uh, but yeah, no. So that's going to be a, about a month from now, and so so we'll talk more about it then. But looking forward to that. You know, tests don't guess, and uh, they'll they'll figure out our sweat rate and the the, the sodium content number of sweat, and we'll uh, kind of move forward from there. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. Uh, but other news, um, probably the biggest piece of news in Atlanta running over the course of the past month here, and it's been a little while since we talked to you, and it's, it's this has certainly happened since the last time we talked to you specifically about news and research, is that the Olympic trials in Atlanta, which we've talked about so many times, on February 29th of 2020, has gotten IAAF gold level status. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had talked a few times about how the IAAF has changed the Olympic trials qualifying standards. Uh, and they have these time standards that for men, it's it's uh, 111.30. For women, it's 229.30. Um, and they've said that, that you have to either run those times or you have to be ranked in the top 150 or so IAAF runners in the world. Um, or, um, well, that's it. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, or or you have to to, to finish in the in, in the top ten of a world marathon major, or in the top five at one of their so-called gold level races, right? And so 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 those are the ways that, that you could actually qualify. Um, and that's been problematic because a lot of people are concerned that 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 kind of guts the traditional American Olympic trials, which is such a uniquely American and thoroughly American thing that you finish top three in your trials and you get to go to the Olympic Games. Uh, and that means that somebody who just kind of squeaked by, say, a woman who, who qualified for the trials in 232 um, and then and then finishes third in the trials on the difficult and potentially hot course in Atlanta might not actually get to go to the Olympic Games because she wouldn't necessarily have the time she needed to have in order to, to have Olympic qualified. Um, and so the IAAF announced about three weeks ago uh, that the Olympic trials in Atlanta are going to now be a gold level race. And so anybody who finishes at the top five or in the top five uh, is now automatically qualified for the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. Good news, right? Uh, that is phenomenal news on so many levels. First of all, from a local perspective, yeah. um, being someone who could just selfishly wants this race in Atlanta to be mm-hmm. as big as as meaningful as it can be, just because I want Atlanta to be shown off as a city and as a running community. Right. Um, that is phenomenal news because it just puts that much more emphasis on the race itself. Absolutely. Right. It goes from, you know, being a race where you're just kind of adding points like a NASCAR race and where it's just one of many mm-hmm. to like the Super Bowl where it's like, no, this is the race. Right. This is where we determine who the right. best is. Um, so that's that's phenomenal. I, I think too, it also, as you said, it opens the doors for, um, in my opinion, just a better qualifying standard mm-hmm. because it makes it more clear in many ways or more straightforward that this is how I make the Olympic team yeah. as opposed to kind of you know, do this, and then if you ha- do this, then you also have to, you know, if you meet criteria A, you have to meet criteria B. Yeah. It's just, you get in the race, then when you're in the race, get top three. Right. Um, and that's kind of how we prefer it in most American sports, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I mean, even in, in, in any sport, if you just make the playoffs, like, we don't then say, oh, well, you won the Super Bowl, but you're not champ because you didn't win as many games as the team you beat. We yeah. want to have a kind of a tournament-style competition to, to determine the winner yeah. or the overall champion yeah. so i think it's phenomenal i think it kind of fits into our culture you know athletically you know for beyond running and i think it helps kind of show off this city in, in a bit more yeah yeah i agree with you i i two things one uh, the the point the second point you just made and i totally agree with you about atlanta like i wanted this race to be a significant race um because you know it's gonna be in atlanta um but but in addition um you know in the united states the, the, the trials process, you know, you, you, you win the trials, you do well in the trials, you make the team. Um, I, I think that, that a lot of times folks don't entirely realize how unique that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so case in point, uh, this week there was a guy uh, from Singapore. He's a Singapore marathoner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's um, the national record holder in Singapore for the marathon. Um, and he's not super duper fast. Um, um, he actually is not even quite fast enough to qualify for the Olympic trials in the United States. Um, however, he's from Singapore. He's from a small country that doesn't have a real big running culture. And he has actually won the Southeastern Asian Games the last two times, which is kind of like the Southeast Asian version of the Pan Am Games. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, so he's a two-time defending champion there. Um, Singapore decided to leave him off the team this year. Um, and they just said that, that we don't really like his behavior. We don't really like his attitude. Uh, we think he's not really a professional, and so we're not going to put him on the team. Um, and he, being the two-time defending champion, wants to go, um, and so he sues 
and and all these lawyers get involved and now there's these big questions about whether he's going to be on the team or whether he should be on the team and da da da, da. Um, and I think that that having a straightforward trials process where it's just like hey this is who qualified it kind of takes out a lot of that that subjective judgments about who should be on it based on their politics or their personalities right. or, or anything else like that. Do they fit the the norm so to speak in yeah, every way? Yeah. And 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 I think that that's very I think that's very much an American ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, and I think we don't always necessarily live up to that in the United States, but I think that that's very much something that we we aim to live up to in the United States that yeah. to, to to be to be equitable in that regard. Um, and so I like that. I also like it too by the way because um, Atlanta has gotten a lot of tension around these trials and and when they made this announcement the IWF made this announcement there was a lot of attention paid to Atlanta that that well our course is hard and people aren't going to be able to run that fast on our course yeah and and, and if if the rules had stay in place there would very much be pressure on USA track and field to put the Olympic trials in only fast places in very fast conditions. Right. And and that would effectively mean that Atlanta would never get Olympic trials again, <laughs> ever, um, yeah. because because we're a hilly town, you know. Um, and it means a lot of other towns wouldn't either. You know, nobody altitude would ever get it. And, and like Chattanooga was one of the finalists, if I remember correctly. I think it was Chattanooga, yeah. Austin, and Atlanta. Yeah, I think it was Orlando. Or was it Orlando? It was Orlando, Austin, and Atlanta. But but Chattanooga has hosted world championship events also. Okay. But the point is true. Like, they would be another town that would just never even be considered. Right. Yeah, and I feel like the old standards, it it almost required manipulation. Mm -hmm. Like, it required athletes to say, I'm not going to run the time of the trials, so now I have to run a fall marathon. Yeah. So on the individual athlete level, it required some level of manipulation that we don't really like, right? Like, we don't like when teams... Like, for example, in college football, just schedule a bunch of games against lower-level teams and beat right. up on them. We want the big dogs to fight each other, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Um, and then, as you mentioned, from an organizational perspective or from an entire sporting perspective, then it gets to a point where it's like, well, do we want to put it in Atlanta or Chattanooga yeah. or some of these other hilly yeah. spots if we have to hit a certain time? Right. And, you know, I didn't even think of it from, from that regard, but it really does start to make it less appealing to have it in areas outside of like chicago right you know right. and that's that's not really what we want i mean i think roger banister you know had a great quote about sport is not about being indoors and comfortable it's about being outside in the elements and fighting those elements yeah you know so yeah. and 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 you know making this change kind of opens it up to have you know in, in a, a tough course a tough trials course and say you know, may the toughest person win, mm-hmm. may the best hill runner win, may the mm-hmm. best, you know, strongest athlete win, as opposed to like a downhill flat course where they're just flying through the end. Yeah, yeah. Now, we should also mention here, um, this change is a good change for the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the IAA first announced these changes, we were worried, obviously, about the United States and what that would mean for us, but there's also a much broader impact of these changes as well. And so you think about small countries like Singapore, for example, that I was just mentioning, um, that that don't have anybody in the entire country who has run that time and don't have anybody in the entire country who has, has met any of the standards, um, mm-hmm. be it the World Marathon major schedules or the, the standards or the gold level race sta- uh, mm-hmm. standards or the time standards or the ranking standards. Um, they don't literally have anybody in the country that can do that. And so those countries are still kind of out of luck 
when yeah. it comes to to sending athletes to to the Olympic Games, and and I think that's very contrary to the Olympic ideal. Yeah. Um. That that Singapore still won't be able to send anybody to the games, um. And that's that that, that to me is wrong. I think that Singapore and Costa Rica and all these other countries around the world they should be able to send people to the Olympic Games. And and yeah, if it's a if it's a man and he finishes in three hours, okay, that's fine. It's the Olympic Games. I don't have a problem with that. Right. You know, if it's a He's woman... He's not getting in the way of other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so, I mean, it's an Olympic game and you have a woman and she finishes in 340. That's okay. Like, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but, but having a representative from as many countries as possible um, taking part in sport together, I think that's a good thing. Um, and so to me, to me, to... to to limit the number of countries uh, that can take part and to limit it only to the countries that have really well-established distance running programs, I think that's contrary to the Olympic ideal. And so so I'm glad for this change for us. <laughs> I think this is good for us, but I still, I still don't like the IAAF's uh, implementation of these really high-level, rigid Olympic qualifying standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think about that point. Um, and yeah, I agree with you entirely. That, that it, it it would, to me, it would it fit the Olympic ideal to to open it up to have every country be able to send a representative, especially a sport yeah. like running, which doesn't have too many logistical limitations. Right? right. It's not like soccer where now the United States is having to play like every single country right. over and, and you know kind of ro- and wear down the top athletes. Um, and a sport as elemental as running, where yeah. I mean everyone can can run. So to speak, yeah. outside of some severe physical limitations so yeah i um, totally agree certainly an interesting point that you brought up i didn't think about well you know and, and, they, and they said they they announced when they first announced the new qualifying standards they said the whole goal was to get the field down to about 80 to 100 people i don't understand why yeah why do you only it's not have a classroom a, right i mean yeah you, <laughs> and and like you said it's not like soccer where you have to 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 build up this gigantic stadium and and have to try and create more more space for it um is it really going to be that much more difficult to run a marathon on the streets of Tokyo with 200 people than it would be to run it with 80 people? And, um, and then just starting in waves, if that yeah, was really I, that I'm, big I'm, of a deal. I'm just not buying it. Yeah. I mean, in, in 2024, I think we've talked about this on this podcast before, in 2024, when the Olympics are in Paris, they're talking about doing a citizen's marathon at the same time, which I am fired up about, by the way. Right. I've already put, like, travel agent, my wife, on it to say, hey, if they do this, we're going. Um, to, to basically say we're going to have a mass participation marathon at the same time as the Olympic marathon. and Put me on that email. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, and so, so maybe how cool would that be? That they, they literally would – and they would have a separate start. Yeah. Right? And so, so they, they would have a, a start. And then five minutes later, the rest of us would get out there on the same course with the, with the Olympians. If they're talking about being able to do that – in Paris, why can't they? Why can't they do that in Tokyo? Why can't they have just two hundred people in Tokyo? I, I don't. I don't understand that at all. Um, I don't understand that at all. And it, and it, and if anybody wants to write to me and say, and you're welcome to, I and and by all means disagree with me. Well, you know, you need to hold the Olympics to a high standard. Da da da. I would push back and say the Olympics are not all about competing at the highest standard. They're about including a, a wide array of athletes. Right. Um, the Olympics have are certainly about holding people to to or, or trying to achieve high Olympic ideals. But but really, the Olympics have. A socio-political impact that I think is far more important and outweighs the the athletic aspects of it. Um, but all right, enough about that. <laughs> yeah, or, um. or to to kind of wrap it up, the the Atlanta trials just got that much bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have encouraged everyone in our group, and we encourage all of our listeners. If you're in the Atlanta area or near the Atlanta area, 
sign up to volunteer or start to book your calendar yeah. to to come and visit and see if the you're in the atlanta person. region if you're in the united states right, if you're in uh, tennessee yeah i mean by all means you, you come in this direction um it does conflict with the tokyo marathon next year uh-huh. so there, there so there is that um but uh but but as long as you're not doing the tokyo marathon by all means make your way to atlanta um and then the day before or the day after um, day after the day yeah. after you have you have the Publix marathon mm-hmm. um so so you could actually and a half marathon um and so so you could actually you know make a weekend of it now we should also say too since we're like soliciting people to come to it that the Publix marathon the, the atlanta marathon is not on the same course as the trials correct the trials is on a multi-loop course that sticks almost entirely to midtown and downtown um whereas the 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 atlanta marathon which is the next day on march 1st um covers a much wider swath of of the city um and it's not quite the same course you run on a few of the same roads but but not most of them so so fyi but make a weekend out of it come down volunteer one day race the next very good um all right so thinking about speaking of marathon trials and all that sort of thing the uh the usatf the usa track and field championships that took place uh Mm -hmm. over the course of the last few weeks um since the last time we talked about a uh uh um we talked about news and research on this podcast. And so a couple of quick mentions we wanted to make there. There was a lot of good races. Uh, Dalila Muhammad set a world record in the 400-meter hurdles, which was fantastic. Molly Huddle, who, as you all know, is one of my favorites, won yet another 10,000-meter title. And she has more than 20 different uh, titles uh, at this point uh, between the road and the track. Uh, Lopez Lamong, uh, who's originally from Sudan um, and got a citizenship in the United States in the 2000s, made the 1500 or made the olympic team in 2008 in the 1500 um uh is now doing the 10,000 meters and ran a 51 second pr in the 10,000 meters to to win the 10,000 um and so yeah obviously pretty brilliant there too uh and then speaking of people who made the olympic team in the uh, 1500 meters in 2008 uh leo manzano uh announced his retirement um, just prior to the meet. Uh, Leo Manzano is a silver medalist in the 1500 um, at the 2012 Olympic Games in London. Um, and I think if we look back on Leo Manzano's career, there's two kind of big things, uh, two big impacts that he had. Um, one was that silver medal. Um, I mean, he, he really put the United States back in that medal hunt, if mm-hmm. you will. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so Matt Sincherwitz, of course, went on to win the 1500 um, in the 2016 Rio Games. He actually won a gold medal there. And so, um, you know, we had sort of a resurgence of, of American middle distance running, um, and it's carried over, I think, and it's still going on right now. Uh, but I think Leo Manzano was a big part of that, yeah. um, was a big part of saying, hey, somebody wearing a USA uh, vest, somebody wearing a USA uniform should be on the podium in distance races. We shouldn't just cede everything to the East Africans. Um, and that's pretty cool. Um, go ahead. What were you about to say? No, about? I was going to say, so, so Liam Manzano, when, when he's, he's one of those athletes that, you know, means more to me than probably most folks because yeah. he is exactly three years older than me. Like, mm. I mean, almost to the day. Mm-hmm. And so like, I remember in high school, like I was a sophomore in high school first fall and I first started falling running yeah. and he was like this freshman phenom. Okay. Right. So being at the university c- of Texas, at the university of Texas. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was always, you know, when you, whenever you can follow an athlete and you can be in this in similar age range, it's yeah. always more fun, right? Yeah. Like you can kind of see a lot of the same trends. For sure. Um, you can kind of live vicariously a bit through, through more through them than you would others. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing that always stood out to me about him is he's five foot five. 
Yeah, so I remember guy. watching him run, and he was like the, it was the most visually striking um, image of the underdog. <laughs> I mean, because in most sports, like when we talk about underdogs, we talk about like, oh, this quarterback is like an inch shorter than the other players. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it genuinely yeah. is like he's 15 pounds lighter than the right. other linebackers, right, right. which is not really that big of a deal. Yeah. But then when you see like 5'5". Five, five, and he's running, still profoundly bigger than everybody else. Yeah, and he still would just <laughs> motor right over me. Um, but he was literally like 5'5", five five, running against people who were 6'2", and watching him run around the track. Yeah, he's like a bullet. Was It was, yeah. it was just so much fun because you could watch him and just be like, that guy is, and like, it, it almost, even if you want to run it, like I remember even my mom who knows nothing, who doesn't even know how far 1500 is, would just see the race and be like, I'm rooting for that guy. Like, I don't know what he's doing different, but like, go little man, go like, and, and that, and I hope I'm, that's not coming off in a patronizing way. Cause he is a, and I'm obviously a world-class stellar athlete, but th- that did kind of help play into the narrative where, you know, like he just stood out. More. What would you say physically as an underdog? And the way he ran too was that way. Like he had he had one of the most fearsome finishing kicks of of, yes. of any run, certainly any runner in the United States, but but any runner in in the world. Um, and uh, and so he would in that in that race in the fifteen hundred where he finished, he got the silver with a lap to go. He was in like tenth. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and the other thing too is. He has never been accused of making it look easy. You know, like he has, when he runs, his face is contorted and like you see his arms like really pumping hard and like he looks the way I feel when I'm running. Um, of course, he's moving significantly faster. Yeah. But I, I, I will always feel like that is part of the reason I was kind of attracted to him and, and watching him is because when you watched him, you felt like you were watching a, a, a version of yourself because like I said, he didn't look as smooth for whatever reason. He clearly was flying. I mean, he's a world class athlete. Mm-hmm. I don't want to over, you know, do it, but it still just looked a little different than someone who's like like an LG whose stride just looks so smooth, mm-hmm. even in the final hundred meters or so. Right. right. So I, I just always loved watching him run. I mean, he always have he'd be like gritting his teeth and his like I said, his face would be all contorted as he's you know turns the corner and heads towards the finish. So. Right um, I'll certainly miss watching him. And he's part of the 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 group. Uh, he was big on. Um, you know the phrase "bring back the mile," which hmm. you know our friend Brandon Hudgens was big on. Yeah. You know, trying to make the mile big again here in Atlanta, well, or not know, in Atlanta, in America. And 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 actually, and and so on that note, and this is a little bit of a digression. Um, there's all these meets now that are popping up, which I think is super cool. There was one in Raleigh a couple of weeks ago called the the Sir Walter Sir, Sir Walter Raleigh Miler or something like yeah. that. You know, there's another one in Tennessee. Um, this weekend there was one in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Um, where rather than having like a full-blown track meet, they'll just bring in a gigantic field of people to run under 145 in the 800. Mm-hmm. Um, or just a whole bunch of people, and, and they, they have a track meet, and rather than having like a track meet with, all, with every event, they'll have a track meet with where everybody's going to run a mile, and they'll have, track, uh, they'll have the high school mile, and the, the kids mile, and the over 50 mile, and, like all, like every, and they'll have 15 different mile races, and that's the whole meet. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's really cool, actually. But, th- but that's kind of that's that's kind of the the, the hot new thing in in track and field right now. Um, and so yeah, I think that 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 you're right that he was part of of the movement to to encourage that. 
Um, the other thing I was going to say about him, too, in addition, so so after he won that gold medal in 2012, um, he started renegotiating with Nike and couldn't find, um, they couldn't find common ground. Um, we're going to talk more about Nike here in just a minute. Um, but uh, he ended up running 2013, the year after he won a silver medal in the Olympics as an unsponsored athlete. Um, and so we just went run unbranded um, and wear, wear, you know, blank clothing at all these like major meets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 2014, he became uh, one of the first big mainstream signings of Hoka One One. Um, and they had Hoka One One had kind of a niche in uh, brand at that point. They had sponsored some triathletes and they sponsored a bunch of trail people, but they hadn't really broken into mainstream competitive running, both road running and and track racing. Um, and he was one of their first big uh, signatories with that. Um, and so with his help, they ended up uh, developing a track spike and a few other things like that. And as we all know, Scott Fauble, uh ends mm-hmm. up finishing in the top. 10 and, and was a top American and ran 209 um, wearing a Hoka One One shoe at the uh, at the the Boston Marathon this year mm-hmm. and so so right. yeah so he he was a he was a big part Leon Manzano was of bringing Hoka One One on at basically making them more of a mainstream brand yeah uh, for competitive runners um, which I think is pretty cool too and that's one of those things where um, it, it maybe not have seemed as important when it happened. But looking back, and we started to touch on this a little bit in our run this morning talking about this, but like 15 years ago, if you wanted a running shoe, you only had like two or three yeah, options. Yeah, we've like. talked about that before. Yeah. Um, and now it seems like we have so many different options. And part of that mm-hmm. is we have a lot more casual runners out there. More casual runners equals bigger market. So mm-hmm. like the Brooks CEO two, three years ago went on CNBC and was like, oh, we're going to right. crush the running space and we're going to pour everything we have into it. Mm-hmm. But it, I do think stuff like that helps as well, mm-hmm. where you, you, you bring people on board that um, can kind of help legitimize a, a brand that was originally on the fringes. And mm-hmm. you can see, too, to, to digress again, you know, talking about the, you know, bringing back the mile. Um, you know, Brandon Hutchins ran in a, the, the Liberty Mile in, in Pittsburgh, right. which is very similar. They just run around a city block um, in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting to see if that trend continues, because it's yeah. such a... It's so much easier logistically, not just for the runner, but also for the, the people organizing to just do a mile yeah. as opposed to a full marathon where you're yeah. shutting down 26 miles worth of streets yeah. and routes to hospitals, et cetera. And it's an exciting <laughs> race. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with, with that in mind, I mean, next weekend's the cam run, right? Mm-hmm. So, sure so, so the cam run, which we've talked about on here before, in Chattanooga, you have the, uh, the 5K in the morning, which is... The, <laughs> one of the most competitive 5k road races you'll find in the southeast because you get all these pros that show up they were friends with cameron bean back in the day um and then and then the top 25 qualify for a mile on the downtown streets of chattanooga that night Uh, not not only is it the most competitive 5k but it's a weird 5k because they they want to run in a certain spot obviously Mm -hmm. so it's not like a good or attractive course i I shouldn't say it's but like it's just an out and back it's just an out and back Mm -hmm on like a random road yeah, yeah and then you're like you know running sub 16 and an 11th place oh yeah yeah well you and I, you and i both ran mid 16s last year and we finished what like 15th and 16th or something yeah. like that yeah so yeah no and the and the, the the winners all there was four or five people under under 15 minutes um mm-hmm. in you know an 800 person road race um so yeah that's next weekend so very good very good um 
So one more thing we, I wanted to talk about when it came to uh, to the the USA Track and Field Championships, and that was Allison Felix. Now, yep. um, Allison Felix, you'll recall, is a nine-time Olympic medalist, including an Olympic record six gold medals. Um, and she's just an all-around rock star. Between the 2012 and 2016 Olympics, she was one of the most famous runners in the United States, sprinters in the United States. Um, now, keeping that in mind, circle back around to another kind of thread that's gone over the course of the past few months here. And this is something that we've kind of referred to a few times, but we, we've avoided diving into, and we're not going to totally dive into it today either. Uh, but you'll recall um, several months ago, there was a couple of American runners, uh, Alicia Montano and Kara Goucher. Alicia Montano is a three-time U.S. champion, and Kara Goucher is a U.S. champion as well and marathoner. Um, they first called out Nike in an op-ed for the New York Times titled, Nike told me to dream crazy until I wanted a baby. Um, and they basically criticized Nike for for um, having in place all sorts of contract practices that that uh, not only discouraged their athletes from having children, um, but but if their athletes did get pregnant, um, they were they had their salaries significantly reduced, or they were kicked off their contracts, and and on all sorts of things like that. Um, and so that was obviously something that that's pretty unfair to women because men don't get pregnant. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, so, um, a lot of people paid attention to it and it started an online conversation. Um, but the conversation got kicked up a pretty big notch when Allison Felix weighed in about two or three weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, Allison Felix is such a rock star inside of American running. And Allison Felix said that, hey, I had a problem with Nike as well. So um, Allison Felix, uh, she had her baby with her at the USATF Championships. Her baby's named Cameron, super cute. But anyway, um, she delivered her baby at 32 weeks uh, via an emergency C-section last year Whoa. Um, due to medical issues that threatened both her and her child, as a matter of fact. Um, yeah, uh, when you mentioned 32 weeks, that yeah, it's early. That's early. Yeah. Uh, so difficult birth to recover from for her. Um, she had a child in the NICU, um, and and Nike didn't really help her out a whole lot with it. Um, and so she had to pay pay a lot of attention to when she's going to get back. How can I get this back? How can I regain my fitness? Because she was in 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 real danger of actually losing her paycheck and losing her 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 um, her living. Um, and so uh, she in writing what she wrote for the New York Times basically said, and that was my experience, and I'm a nine-time Olympic gold medalist, or six-time Olympic gold medalist, nine-time medalist. Right. So how is it, and that's me, how is anybody else going to get a contract? How is anybody else going to be able to have, have, have kids and have a life and running, right? Um, and so... Um, she said that, that Nike offered her a 70% reduction in pay after her childbirth while they were negotiating a new contract, and they wouldn't contractually guarantee her wages wouldn't be reduced if she didn't perform highly enough in the months afterwards. Um, so again, significantly cut her, her pay because she had a baby, and then, and then said, okay, now, unless you can get back to the level you were beforehand, we're not going to pay you what we paid you before. Um, and mind Which you, like, what does that mean? A bronze medalist instead of a gold medalist? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and mind you, this is this is Nike still uses pictures of her in their ads. Right. Right. And so they're still they're still making money off of her just like they were in 2016. Um, and and whenever they whenever people you know pull up Allison Felix's races from 2016 or 2015 or whatever, she's still wearing Nike gear 
there. That's a good point. And, and her old highlights, right? Still the right. Nike and so, 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 it, so it's not as if it's not as if her marketability, like because she can't run right now, what she ran in 2015, that she's worth less to the company necessarily. Um, and and that's the that's one of the more really striking things about it to me. So anyway, point being, Allison Felix shows up. She's still recovering. She's still you know a mom um, of, of a baby at this point. Um, and so she uh, she shows up uh, and she competes again, kind of like Milo Manzano did in unbranded clothing. Um, and and it really highlighted the fact that that she doesn't have a sponsor at this point because because uh, Nike kind of abandoned her. Um, now she announced um, right afterwards. Um, that she's signed a deal with Athleta, um, which is a, kind of a sports leisure brand, actually. Um, yeah. And uh, they have stores in a lot of malls and stuff like that. Um, and her contract specifically spelled out that they were going to pay her the same regardless of whether she's pregnant and, and, and that sort of thing. And if she gets pregnant, she's not going to lose her contract and stuff like that. Um, and then just this week, in the wake of, of all of that attention and all of that conversation, and then, of course, uh, Allison Felix very high-profiledly Going without a sponsor at the, uh, the the USATF championships and then signing with Athleta, uh, Nike announced this week that's going to start paying athletes regardless of their pregnancy. Um, it's going to start saying, "Okay, here's your contract. We're going to pay you this much money over the course of the next few years, and if you get pregnant, we're not going to necessarily kick you off your contract and and, and make you renegotiate," which is essentially what they had before. Um, so, pretty big announcement from Nike, given that they're they're an industry leader, wow. yeah. um, and presumably that's gonna that's gonna filter out to. To, to others as well so so obviously very happy to see that thoughts on that uh nothing beyond you know a few of the kind of surface level observation one kudos to allison phoenix for for kind of bringing this to light right on, along man. with the other yeah with the other uh athletes yeah um because as you mentioned you know the other the other companies are going to follow nike's lead to some yeah. degree yeah um and i will say this too you know in any sport if so, for example, last time there was a big labor dispute in the NFL, Tom Brady and Drew Brees, two of their biggest stars, had to be the ones to say we're not right. playing. Right. Because um, if the left guard or like some lower level athlete decides we're not playing, they'll just move forward. Right. But when the the guy on the billboard says he's not playing, that's when the power brokers start to listen. Right. And so she had to be the one and, but, to but say the, this isn't going to work. But but the guys on the billboard are the ones who have the most to lose. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and so, so they're the ones with the gigantic contracts and all that sort of thing. And so, so they're, they're the ones that really have the most to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you, you necessarily, Allison Felix, felt like she didn't have anything to lose here, but... but I feel like she did. I mean, so, so for somebody to, to, to put themselves out there like that, um, I totally agree with you. It requires that. Um, but it's a big risk for him. Oh, and you you say she she might not have anything to lose, or some people might ask that. She definitely had something to lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, she had a contract with the biggest, essentially the biggest employer in her industry. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you don't just walk away from Google if you're in tech or right, Apple. Right. Like it's well, yeah. And her, and her her putting it out there that she was having such a hard time with him and everything. I mean, that definitely didn't. They're not going to be like, oh, you're right. Let's sign you now. Yeah. Right. So so yeah, you're totally right about that. Um. Yeah. And then you know, kudos to them for, I guess, responding and saying, "Okay, this is this is an issue. We need to we need to change." Um, and then my other takeaways, I thought it was interesting that uh, Athletica was the one that signed her. Athleta, yeah. Athleta, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, because they obviously are, are more focused on women and on, you know, uh, getting women not just elite athletes, but any woman who's trying to kind of better themselves in a, yeah. in a physical um, endeavor. 
Yeah. And so in many ways, she, you know, Allison Felix is a great poster child because she's saying, look, I'm having to juggle being a mom and stay fit. Right. Um, which right. obviously presents many challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's neat. Um, I, 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 I'll be interested to see kind of the, I haven't seen a, an ad with Athleta yet with her in it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'll be interested to kind of see the, 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 the tack they take with it. But by all means, I, I, and you and I have talked about this with the, with the people we coach. Um, I, I like there being a brand that's going that, that that's going to to appeal and and market to people across the fitness spectrum. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because because I think that that that, that like, like Nike's all about elite performance. Michael yeah. Jordan, yeah. LeBron James. But it's right. like okay, but I can't be LeBron. Like right. I play basketball in a YMCA. Like I'm not. <laughs> and the, and they'll and they'll I th- they'll mix in and they have some great commercials about this. They'll mix in about like you know sort of the normal athlete and all that sort of thing. But you know that. There's still this kind of this this I don't know. There's always this feel in Nike about about the elite athletes are really really important and hey you're good you're cool too. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting and it's hard to do. I don't know how exactly they're going to do it. It would be cool if Athleta were to create more of I don't know a community that felt. I, I don't I don't know exactly how to articulate what I'm trying to say. Well, they can. <laughs> but maybe, do you know what I mean? They can almost communicate a brand of like, look, we understand athletics are your third fourth or fifth priority in life but that's yeah. okay and you yeah. can still be considered a dedicated athlete and you can still yeah. be considered worthy of our time and attention yeah yeah and i, and I think that that yeah and I, and I think that that they're gonna they're also gonna portray and this is important as well they're also gonna portray um alice and felix not as this you know incredible untouchable at i think that they're probably gonna portray her as being a whole person Right. Um, do you know what I mean? And and, and not in a. And it's not, not just the shots of someone bench pressing five hundred pounds yeah. in a gym while grunting and groaning. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're they're going to show her finishing up and and hugging her daughter. I mean, and that's cool. Um, and I, I think that's relatable, and, and I think that's worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. because that's something that I think most of us have to deal with it. So, so yeah. So I'm excited about that. I look forward to seeing how it goes. Yeah, your most liked race picture was when you stopped in a race. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, gave a kiss to your two sons. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We're still not sure exactly which son that was in the picture because it's back. Are in you the serious? Head, so yeah, not totally sure. <laughs> I have a guess, but I'm not gonna. But say you, it. you do know it was one of your sons. So yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah. What, what what Patrick's talking about is that 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 when when things were not were starting to go south for me during the Chicago Marathon. And 2017 i uh i stopped at the 11 mile mark and of course my wife you know seeing me stop she was like go go what are you doing yeah. <laughs> um and uh and then several people wrote when they saw the picture online they're like oh yeah i knew george was having a bad race when i saw that he was stopped but i stopped real quick and i and i gave both my sons a, a, a kiss and 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 both of them at this point were three years old and they're both like Bleh! um yeah. but but somebody standing next to my wife took a big picture of it yeah um, and it turned out to be this is gorgeous picture of me you know kissing one of my sons and and again i'm not sure exactly which one it was <laughs> because they're identical twins after all and, and it was from behind but uh, but anyway yeah it's a great picture it's a great photo um all right let's talk about a little bit of research here uh you go first since i've been talking about all the news here sure so mine's a, a pretty brief but it, but it's an interesting one um so in a recent uh article uh, or excuse me in a recent issue of the scandinavian journal of medicine and sports and science say that five times fast <laughs> um a team of researchers wanted to kind of look at okay they, they essentially wanted to revisit one of the oldest and most you know um exhausted questions in sports science and that is what factors 
predict who will suffer a training injury. Mm. Okay, and we've talked this over and over again that more and more we find that your 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 number one goal should be to prevent injury. Right, that's almost like the starting point. Like, how do yeah. we do this without getting ourselves hurt? Because yeah. consistency is king. And I butt heads with my athletes that I coach about it all the time. Yes, um, but but because as as a coach, I think as an athlete, it's one thing. You know that that obviously I want to you know remain uninjured. But as a coach, it's a huge priority. Mm-hmm. Um, to, trying to trying to make sure people stay uninjured so they can train consistently and and ultimately achieve. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, there have just been many many studies that start to tackle this question. But what makes this one different is that it tries to kind of zoom out and say, okay, knowing what we know, let's just take a very broad look at some of the risk factors at things like self esteem, stress, nutrition, sleep, etc. And let's see if we can start to figure out, okay, what just matters the most, mm-hmm. right? Because we can kind of dive into all these little details. But if, if you or, or our listeners are like me, you probably feel overwhelmed when you Google injury prevention, right? And you feel like, oh my gosh, I need to have a massage and a dry needling session and compression socks and compression sleeves. And, the, and you almost feel overwhelmed with injury ad- prevention advice. And right. So this one almost takes the opposite approach of like, look, let's take a step back and figure out what are the biggest factors here? Are a few kind of general things we can mm-hmm. we can start to look at. Okay. Um, and they looked at 340 athletes, high school athletes that is, in Sweden, that played a few different sports: track, handball, um, and and skiing. Okay. And that skiing is you know both cross country skiing, uh, downhill freestyle and freestyle skiing. Okay. Okay. And there were two big noteworthy findings. First. Uh, athletes who reported sleeping at least eight hours per day, <laughs> you're going to be shocked to know that was in a study that I presented, were 61% less likely to report an injury Okay, the following semester. So you get plenty of sleep in the fall, you, you are injured less, not just in the fall, but also in the spring. Hmm. Okay? Okay. Second thing, those who reported meeting their recommendations for eating enough fruits, vegetables, and fish were also 64% less likely to report injury. Now, those are some pretty big numbers when you think about like 61% less likely with yeah. more sleep, 64% less likely with eating enough fruits and vegetables. Um, now, there are obviously some some kind of details that go into this. Like, for example, they found that with female athletes, nutrition was a little bit more important or getting the enough fruits, vegetables, and fish was a bit more important than it was in the male athletes. Okay. Um, that makes sense, especially with high school level mm-hmm. female athletes. Mm-hmm. Um and they also found that the role of nutrition injuries, you know, with endurance athletes, um, was something that uh, kind of seemed to have a bit more of an elevated import importance when looking at endurance athletes specifically. Okay. Here's my big takeaway, just to kind of um, you know pull back and, and kind of look at everything. It's hard to know what exactly causes or prevents injuries, right? We talk, you know, we talk about this on this podcast all the time. One, get enough sleep. Obviously, we talk about it all mm-hmm. the time, and we talk about you know, whether that means getting 20 extra minutes of sleep or that means getting, you know, uh, at least, you know, 50 hours of sleep in a given week, you know, whatever you need to do, try to just get more sleep. That is the ultimate recovery drug, so to speak. And But we, this, talk, we talk about it in terms of performance, so we don't talk about it in terms of avoiding injury. That's true. Yeah. That's true. We mostly focus on performance and kind of getting ready to, to, to start back again for your next workout. Yeah. But this looked at injury prevention specifically. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, you know, a lot of folks ask us all the time about nutrition. And they say, well, why haven't you done a nutrition podcast? And, you know, our answer, which we've said on air and off air, is nutrition can be very individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not nutritionists. Like, that's mm-hmm. not where – we don't know enough to really take a deep dive into it. And, and we've talked about nutrition. I think we had one specific one. But, but people also feel really strongly about nutrition. 
that's another big one too. We don't ever want to say, like, you don't want to say, oh, never eat, you know, barbecue, for example, and then have someone say, well, I eat barbecue at church every, and it's like this, like, religious, <laughs> like, you know, it's like family event every week. Like, okay, well, then eat the barbecue. Um, but to me, what was important, and this is, you know, something that we're finding more and more, it's not so much about focusing on never ever eat dessert or never ever eat sweets but this focus this study focused on eat your fruits your vegetable and your fish first and then if you want to have dessert you can have dessert that's okay but if you eat first and are pretty full before you even get to that ice cream or before you even get to that cake it's going to really prevent the kind of gorging session where you just take down a tub of ice cream right Mm -hmm. which you know not that i've ever done myself nudge nudge (laughs) wink wink but it really helps kind of re- reframe, you know, how we approach nutrition from, hey, avoid all these bad things to fill up your stomach with good things first. And then if you still want some ice cream or you still want some cake, sure, have some every now and again. Mm-hmm. But it, it kind of reframes the issue from, you know, avoid the bad things to engage in the good things, which, as we know, that's that works from a psychological perspective much, much more to chase a goal rather than to avoid something bad. And then the other thing I would say, too, that it kind of stresses to me is that um, you do want to sweat the details to some degree. We don't really know what details matter the most. It's kind of hard to untangle, for example, what's more important, sleep or nutrition. Like they had very similar, um, you know, injury rates or, you know, for for those who were, uh, you know, on, on their game with sleep and on their game with nutrition. And so sometimes it's hard to know what exactly um, your, you know, kind of elixir is. So sometimes if you just kind of say, look, I want to make sure to do well in nutrition, do well in sleep, do well in, in kind of all of my, have all my bases covered, we don't know exactly what your big pain point is or what your kind of big breaking point is. I have found that sleep is mine. If I don't get enough sleep, it significantly you know hinders my training in a way that maybe poor nutrition doesn't. But for the new athletes specifically or especially, it probably is important to say, you know what, let's try to you know have everything covered in terms of sleep and nutrition, et cetera, because I don't know what is most important for me. So I need to try to have all these covered, and then we'll see. We'll go from there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so what are some of your thoughts? So you're, on your on your last takeaway there, I, you said you kind of need to sweat the details. To me, I, I while I agree with what you just said, I kind of have the opposite takeaway, or I would say that sort of the opposite, that you don't have to sweat the details. That Because that, th- this, to me, the, the, the biggest thing that stands out to me is that that, that it's it's kind of fundamental um, that that it's almost like to I mean and, and I'm not going to take anything away from from compression socks or from from ice or from heat or from from whatever it happens to be because I use those things and and I do think that they're helpful but at the at the outset the most important thing is sleep and good nutrition do you know what I'm saying yeah um, and 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 so that that to me is is probably the biggest takeaway that that all the rest of it is kind of bonus. And so if, if you do those first two things, that's going to get you through most of it. And that's going to prevent most injuries, mm-hmm. right? And then on top of that, you can layer in you know, your recovery protocols and your shoe choices and, and, and all that sort of thing, right? And all those sorts of things are important too. But, but the most important things in preventing injury and continuing to, to consistently train are to me, the most basic things, you know, get some sleep and eat right. Yeah. Or so maybe another way to say, instead of saying sweat the details, maybe another way to frame it is 
you know, focus on the on elements of the two elements outside of ru- the running itself or the training itself. Um, pay attention to what's going on outside of the workout. For sure. And you know, from there, you don't need to sweat. Hey, am I for like fruits and vegetables? Did I have an apple or an orange? You know, for right. example. Right. But you know, what we do, you know, how we train is not limited to the training session itself. How yeah. we prepare for a race is not limited to the workout itself. Well, I, I certainly agree with you on that. And, uh, and it, it is, it is kind of striking to me, um, conversations that I have with people, either athletes that I coach or people I'm just starting to coach or people I even see online and that sort of thing, how, how oftentimes they'll, they'll spend a lot of time thinking about what they're going to do for the hour that they're doing a workout. Yep. And, and then they'll pay almost no attention to what they're doing the remaining 23 hours of the day. Um, and that goes into, you know, not only what they eat and, and, and when they sleep and all that sort of thing, but it also goes into like the shoes that the casual shoes that they wear, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm, uh, I'm on a, on a, in a, a Facebook group about, about running shoes. Um, and somebody recently posted on there about the shoes that they wear when they're not running. Um, and they're like, shoes are terrible for their feet. And it's like somebody who cares so much about the shoes they wear while they're running is not going to pay any attention to the health of their feet the other 23 hours of the day when they're not running. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really striking. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so, so I, the, yeah, the, 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 the biggest thing to me is that we've talked about nutrition and we've talked about sleep in terms of performance, and this is actually talking about it in terms of, of injury, which I think is great. Um, so very good, very good. Um, all right, let's talk real quickly about, about the study that I'm going to mention. Um, and this was not a study uh, so much as a debate, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so every now and then, um, academic journals will uh, publish debates, if you will, between different academicians in varying fields. Um, and recently, in last month's issue of the Journal of Physiology, uh, two groups of researchers offered contrasting takes on the claim, quote, exercise training intensity is more important than volume to promote increases in human skeletal muscle mitochondrial content, unquote. And so in other words, um, the Journal of Physiology asked two fairly well-known groups of, of uh, researchers and exercise physiologists to say, what is more important, intensity or duration? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first group, of course, says, all right, so th- we believe that, that, that intensity is more important, and here's why it's more important. And they, they cited some studies and talked about how you get more bang for your buck for every single minute that you, that you work out if you're, if you're using intensity. Um, and then the... Um, the the high volume group comes back and says, yeah, okay, bang for your buck aside, um, there's there's far more literature that suggests that the overall volume that you are training at is going to increase mitochondrial density and therefore uh, enhance your endurance um, than there is about intensity. And then they both got to also rebut each other as well. They both got right right rebuttals, um, and and so. It's funny because a lot of folks looked at this and were like, oh, okay, you know, this is going to really shed some light on, on what's better, volume or intensity, um, which is an ongoing conversation. Um, um, and, and I see it kind of everywhere, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I see it, see it um, in, in cycling circles. I see it in triathlete circles. Um, you know, what matters more, intensity or, or volume? Um, I feel like we even see it in, like, workplace studies. Oh, yeah? Like, you know longer hours more intense hours is there such a thing as more intense hours that kind of a thing yeah yeah i mean there, there, there's definitely a mirror there right um and so 
um, ultimately this conversation to me didn't really shed any light on which one is ultimately going to be better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but what it did to me is it shed it shed light on the priorities of the researchers, mm-hmm. and so the people who were big and much or were very much in favor of of intensity were kept falling back on the importance of efficiency in your training and that for every minute that you train you're getting this much of a boost in your mitochondria or your endurance or your vo2 or whatever it happens to be right whereas people who were in or advocated for more volume they were more concerned with the overall benefit of the training. Like, efficiency is not what they were going after. Right. They were not worried about the, how this was going to fit into the rest of your life and, and, and whether, whether you had time for high volume. They were just concerned about, hey, which one's better in, in a clinical and hypothetical sense. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Um, and, and so kind of looking into the, the inner la- landscape of those people, I think is, is really fascinating because, mm-hmm. because exercise physiologists, just like anybody else, are people and they have priorities and they have prejudices and, and you need to understand their thought processes before you can actually determine the validity of their conclusions. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Or or their validity of their conclusions in your own life. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so 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 for me it was very interesting because there there are times and we all have this. I mean, we, you know, you and I have talked about seasons of life that you're in. If you're in a season of life where efficiency is the most important thing to you, then yeah, pick up those books about the time crunch triathlete and stuff like that and, and pay more attention to, to intensity and, and that sort of thing. But if you're not in that season of life, you have more time and what you're looking for is the, the biggest overall performance benefit, then don't pick up the time crunch cyclist. Don't, don't focus on intensity over volume because there's more evidence that shows that volume is actually better than intensity. Right. Um, just from an absolute sense, not from a efficiency sense. So I, I, I just I thought that was really important and, and, and really worthwhile here. Um, and in addition, um, I, I think the other kind of big takeaway too is is to make sure that you keep in mind that your body adapts to, to anything that you do over time. And so if you spend three years focusing entirely on intensity and not on volume, and your and your performances are starting to plateau switch it up a little bit and start paying more attention to volume than, than, than you do to intensity and, and you can see some real breakthroughs and of course vice versa right um, I think that's important as well yeah other thoughts on this uh, I, I thought your first thought was was spot on and that is what makes you know being an adult runner and, and being a coach of adult runners so unique is you, the first thing you're trying to find out is okay what routine works for you yeah right and that's what really gets at the heart of this intensity versus volume thing if you can only go for three runs a week which some people have legitimately at that place in life where they're like look i i got time on tuesday friday saturday and that's that you know or whatever the days are mm-hmm. then you're saying okay well we're doing a speed workout we're doing a tempo run like it's mm-hmm. we're going to really kind of mm-hmm. um you be have a insert a more intense effort for these three runs we're not going for leisurely jogs mm-hmm. you know if you're trying to to you know improve your time uh, you know, as opposed to like, you know, the other aspect where you're trying to say, okay, if we have, you know, the bandwidth to do seven to 10 runs a week, for example, like a professional runner, mm-hmm. 
then it's a totally different equation. You're asking a totally different question, right. you know, versus right. you know the the time crunch runner. And I think that's interesting because, like most things in life, I mean, it doesn't matter what, you know what area you're asking advice in, whether it be running, whether it be like finances, for example, or, or you know professional advice. A lot of times, it's all about putting everything into context. Oh yeah. And knowing, oh well, this person can give this advice because this is the environment they're used to, mm-hmm. or this is you know the kind of laws or assumptions that they make about what's important to them and, and how the world works and that's kind of what this is getting at too is you know if the intensity is which or if what you need is to improve in the shortest amount of time mm-hmm. the intensity is where you're going mm-hmm. if your goal is to improve over the next 10 years mm-hmm. the volume is a bit more where you need to or, focus or, or if your or if your goal if your goal is to if your goal is to improve as much as you can in a limited amount of time, yeah, you take one approach. You take the intensity approach. If your goal is to improve as much as you can, period. Yep. You need to take more of a volume approach. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so I, I I just think that's that's it's important to recognize that that yeah, intensity helps, and and certainly makes a difference, but but the priority for people who are advocating of intensity is efficiency. Right. And that might be your priority too. Right. So by all means, pick up one of those books. Right. Or, you know, <laughs> but but um, but that's important to kind of keep in mind as well. If you have all the time in the world, don't employ a run less, run faster or a, or a time crunch triathlete approach. Right. You know, or um, the runner's world. I think they have a like three day a week running plan or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah same thing. If, if, if that's all you can give, do it. And that's great. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by all means, do it. but if you have more to give, if you have more time to give, don't give less time. <laughs> yeah, very good. All right, final thoughts? No, I enjoyed it. It was fun. All right, good to have you back, Patrick. Appreciate your being here. Thanks for listening, everybody. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, by Blue Pineapple Travel, and by SlayRx. If you want to reach out to me, you can always find me, George, at ITOcoaching.com. If you want to reach out to Patrick, it's Patrick at ITOcoaching.com. Or you can send us a podcast email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast, and we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. If you want to find ITO Coaching and Performance, they're at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. If you want to find Blue Pineapple Travel for all your travel needs, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. See all the incredible places where folks are traveling thanks to Blue Pineapple Travel. And, of course, our newest sponsor, SlayRx. You can find them at SlayRx.com, at Facebook.com slash SlayRx, or on Instagram at Instagram.com, here for, the number four, here for SlayRx. Don't forget the discount code as well, Pleasant2019. That'll get you 10% off anything at their website. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. Thanks again for joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.